Welcome back to another evening of Scotch Hour. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right. This is uh, welcome back, everyone, for episode 98. Um, here we are going to be reviewing the uh, Bowmore 12. And then we'll do our shout outs and get it together, followed by our restaurant review of Trapper's Bar and Grill. And then our smarter topic or smarter challenge, I guess, um, being on um, AI or known as the AI chat. Uh, bot as what chat uh, GPT. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, real quickly here, before we do jump into the uh, scotch here and have uh, Jesse give us some information on it, um, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. If you could leave some comments down below, uh, we'd love to answer any comments that you may have, or if you have any suggestions, we'll uh, definitely love to look at those as well. And uh, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Rumble, uh, Podbean, and uh, any of those, uh, and most like podcast uh, places. Scotch review. First thing I would like to say about this Bowmore 12 years. Man, this is a handsome box. <laughs> It really is. You got like the, the black pinstripe down here or chalk stripe and uh, just well done with color. Uh, the Bowmore Distillery is the um, oldest licensed distillery on the Isle of Isla um, in Scotland. So it's going to have uh, some heavy hitter competition here as Isla is one of our favorite areas of Scotland to have our scotches from. Um, this They have been crazy crafting scotch for approximately 240 years established in 1779 um, it lies on the southeastern shore of Loch Indal uh, with that current owners are Beam Suntory um, which are also the owners of some other great brands some which we love um, some which we like uh, you got Lafroig, Octachon, Beaumore, Glengarach, the Ardmore some of the other scotches we've had on the show as well as they've got their hands in some gin some tequila some cognac, Cavassier in particular. Um, the Bowmore Distillery is its capacity is 1.7 million liters a year, um, and sources as much of its barley from the Isle of Isla as possible. However, with such a small Isla um, island and so many distilleries on it, uh, Lagavulin being one of them, uh, they are not able to source all of their barley from the island. So they do have to bring some in from the mainland just because there are insufficient sources on the island. The source of their water is the Lager River. And uh, some people say that's part of the reason it has its great taste. Um, it is right there, as it mentioned, on that uh, east shore where we get those high winds, the cold temperatures, um, and that water blowing brine into uh, the fields above where they do source um, a lot of the materials. Yeah, so some other tidbits I, I picked up here was that um, it, it is off that coast of Loch uh, uh, Endal, <laughs> but it's in the town of Beaumont. 
So the distillery is not in called Bowmore, but it's also in the <laughs> town of Bowmore. Uh, I'm not sure if you you said that. I didn't quite catch it if you did. Um, and then they also use uh, traditional methods to make their scotch. So they do what's called a floor malting. And uh, this is kind of a uh, like a more of a traditional style. And when you do go on to the tours, they do have some tours there. Um, you can just do the pure tasting or you can do the tour itself or you can do the tasting with the tour. And inside the tours, uh, you'll, they'll usually include the um, you being able to uh, witness or view uh, the floor malting. So that way, you, this is where the uh, barley is getting prepped uh, in order um, for it to be used. And then um, you also get to see the steel room as well. Um, with that, the, uh, tasting, if you do the, just the, uh, just the tour, it does cost approximately 22 USD, um, for the, uh, just the tasting. So if you want to like bypass the tour and just do the <laughs> tasting, which you can, that's approximately $73. But if you're going to do both the tour and the tasting, uh, that is, uh, about $98 approximately. Also there, they uh, do have something that's called a Stay With Us. And they have uh, what's called the Harbor Inn, uh, which you can stay, which has a really nice restaurant there. And then they have the Bowmore Cottages that you can stay uh, right there by the distillery. I'm, I'm not sure if it was actually in the distillery or next to the distillery or attached to it or like right by the distillery. But um, those are some of the uh, options that you do have. Um, if you wanted to go there and visit uh, the Bowmore uh, Distillery. Yeah, if you're going to go, you might as well go all out. Don't just go for the tasting. Uh, nothing like seeing them, you know, whether you want to call them wooden paddles or wooden shovels as they're prepping that barley and they're doing some of those traditional methods. Uh, definitely has to be a class act to witness some of this ancient, and I shouldn't say ancient, but old world craftsmanship creating the Bowmore Scotch. And when you talk about craftsmanship, it, they do have a partnership with uh, with the Aston Martin, so Talk about uh, craftsmanship right there, right? <laughs> you can't go wrong. <laughs> right. Unless, you, unless you're racing Formula One. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Austin Martin may not have had uh, the best luck there. <laughs> <laughs> not recently, anyways. <laughs> Let's open this up. All right. As we mentioned, we do like a good box. <laughs> I think this is very traditional to the Suntory bottles that Suntory themselves put out. Um Man, the bottle goes in the box. <laughs> the bottle goes in the box. It fits well. Look at the head on that bottle. All right. <laughs> well, let's uh, go ahead and find this. Open it up. Um, I do like the label, the foil. It's a little less traditional for what we've had on the show as far as the bottle shape, but very, probably very traditional for them. Um, it's got great detail. That is definitely plastic. The bottle looks like uh, something more I would expect from like a, like a Kentucky whiskey or bourbon. <laughs> it's definitely old world and they do not waste money on the glue, man. The label is a little loose there. They're <laughs> like, why? But it's on there. 40% ABV. I wonder if that uh, if the glue right there has something to do with the uh, dry atmosphere here in Colorado because I do know um, there are some like wine labels and other um, other uh, kind of like bottling 
uh, that does have issues with their with the glue and the labeling because the air here is so dry and it kind of dries out the glue. It could be. Again, good looking label. Well done. I like the color and the, the color aspect of it. Pretty much white, black, and gold. Who can't can't go wrong with that? <laughs> Literally can't go wrong. With <laughs> As I'm wearing CU gear, <laughs> white, black, and gold. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, cheers and off to warp speed. Warp speed. Cheers. Well, there's a old saying says age before beauty. <laughs> Uh, however, when it comes to some of these Isla scotches, I think we might have gone beauty before age, since this is the uh, oldest licensed um, the distillery there on the island of Isla. Um, and uh, it doesn't disappoint uh, whatsoever. Uh, when I first uh, looked at the coloring, it is a coloring that I do like. And um, it has, like I put here in mine, is a medium brass with uh, like, like that kind of like that amber hue to it and it's kind of misleading because when i look at this uh at the at the color of this um i would have expected some of this color has been leached from the barrels being from the charred barrels so i would expect a little bit more caramel a little bit more of the um you definitely do get some smoke but um i was expecting more oakiness and, and more caramel and i didn't really get that in this so um, when it comes to the aroma, I'm picking up like some like coastal air. So I'm not really sure. I wouldn't really say it's sea brine, but it's definitely like when you're probably maybe like five, 10 miles in on a coastline and you can smell that, that, that nice sea air along with, uh, some hints of ash and floral. And then I put hints of orange and bergamot. Mm. And uh, it does make for a nice, um, inviting smell or aroma that makes you want to uh, explore the scotch uh, a little bit more. And so when it comes time to uh, to taste it, um, here on my notes, I put it, it, it hits with vanilla. Mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of vanilla up front. And then after the vanilla starts to dissipate, um, this is when I start getting some of the, uh, a little bit of smokiness and, and some of the peat, uh, or you can call it smoky peat. Uh, it probably might be a better uh, term here <laughs> for me is a smoky peat that uh, you'll, you get from there. And it has a nice sweetness. It's not like an over sweetness and it's not an under sweetness, but it has a nice sweetness tone to it from the beginning of the palette to the end of the palette. Now, as we start entering into the finish, um, so the back palette going into the finish, I do experience a nice lingering smoky finish with hints of oak and dry grass. Now, this is a, it to me, um, uh, out of some of the other scotches that we tried, this is a very light bodied scotch. It, um, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't really sit in your mouth real heavily. It doesn't coat it cream. It doesn't give you that nice creamy coat either, as far as my opinion goes. And, um, but it's really nice and light bodied. So this is something I would definitely enjoy on a nice summer evening. Um, it, it just gives you that nice, like bright feeling that you get from summertime uh, and it's not 
overly heavy that you, you know so you because i don't know during the summertime i want something that's like a little bit more lighter i don't want something that's so heavy bodied so this is a really nice bottle right here uh with that light like that light body in there and the sweetness kind of just makes it really nice and enjoyable for like a summertime scotch um i do highly recommend it would i take it to a poker game sure um i definitely would but i take it to an average everyday where i'm not trying to like um impress anybody type of engagement yeah i would do that i take it to like a house party or something like that would i take it to a black tie affair uh or like a nicer type of event no and and, and the reason why is that it's not like the the packaging is nice um but if i'm taking it to a nice uh a nice affair, uh, like a black tie affair or an elegant uh, type of a uh, party. I don't want. I don't want to have to worry about my label peeling off. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the Bowmore does not disappoint. It is very interesting, and I think one of the cues you mentioned there uh, was the lighter body, especially for an Isla Scotch. We're talking about comparisons uh, with scotches like Laphroaig or Lagavulin, and with some of those, uh, they are peaty. Um, we're talking about Ardbeg, and the Bowmore is much more well, I want to say, balanced in the sense of it is not as peaty definitely not as smoky uh, the other thing i would say for me this is like a tropical scotch for me this is the kind of scotch i would love drinking on a hot day on a sandy beach uh, where i've got an umbrella over me and uh, just sipping the scotch going in and out of the water you know caesar's pool would do too caesar's if you want to throw me a pass please do uh, caesar's pool uh, but it's one of these scotches where i agree it's not overbearing in any sense now as we get into it the color deep gold light amber great color very inviting we're talking about a company that produces uh, a little over two million bottles of scotch a year with their volume capacity and on the nose it's super interesting because for me right off the bat i get hints of lemon and peach and that is immediately followed with honey mild peat not like a peat monster and then a little bit of pineapple uh it's it's really really interesting on the palate right up front i think you mentioned this also the front is beautifully sweet with vanilla peach um, it's a little creamy right at the front but that fades quickly then comes in some dark chocolate and then the repeat of the fruitiness again why i think this is like the tropical scotch for me pineapple mango peach uh, then that peat comes through with a little bit of smoke and the oak dryness is there but i agree with you none of the caramel none of the actual oak flavor just very well balanced um it's a fun scotch uh 
And right now, Total Wine is selling it for right about $55 a bottle. Bevy's has it for $65 a bottle. Uh, it would not be my first pick either because even though this is fun and it's well-balanced, I, I, there are a few other Isla Scotches I do prefer. Would I take it to a poker night? Uh, if it's something where I'm trying to invite a new scotch to a couple of lads absolutely your labs are lads are ladies uh if it's uh me bringing it over to friends it's the same thing it's very different from isla it is not traditionally how i would define for me an isla scotch uh black tie event I wouldn't mind bringing it to a black tie event, especially if cigars are going to be at the end, because I'm not afraid of ruining this scotch with a cigar. I think this flavor with a mild cigar, we're not talking about some huge cigar, uh, a mild cigar would go very well with. Uh, for me, though, it did not disappoint. 40% ABV. Isla Scotch here. Uh, well done, Bomar. It's time for our shout-outs. Do you have any shout-outs for this week? Uh, one shout-out I'll give is uh, to my kiddos continuing to do great things in life. Aiden, nice job with basketball. Mila, awesome job with college. Um, keep doing your thing. Uh, it's fun to watch you guys grow up. It's a little sad at times, honestly, because man, you're getting old. It's going away from this point of, uh, oh yeah, it's, let's spend time with that on the weekend. We have to, to thank, good, thank goodness. Uh, you still want to. And I love every minute you guys give me, whether it's watching a movie on the couch, eating nachos, or going to the theater. Thank you, guys. All right. My one shout-out is going to go to Robin. We did talk about this. Uh, this is over at Tailgate. We went to uh, uh, Tailgate uh, this evening, or I should say we revisited the Tailgate <laughs> uh, this evening, and uh, Robin was our waitress. I think she did a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. And as always, the Tailgate does deliver – they have a great value. If so, if you ever find yourself in Parker on a Monday night, you have to hit up the tailgate because they have half off burgers. And so normally their burgers are like something like somewhere between like $13.99 and $12.99 and they're half off. You can't get that kind of deal going to a fast food place and get the type of quality of uh, fries or burger. Uh, for that fact and their burgers are great i know i got the uh the parker slopper you did as well mm -hmm. and once again that was uh it that's a pretty big burger uh it's smothered in green chili their green chili sauce is great so once again they delivered and i just want to give them a shout out uh, I 100% agree. Well done, Robin. Uh, and honestly, it was pretty impressive. She, These guys were hustling. All the waiters, waitresses, um, the servers, they were hustling. And at one point in time, she was moving so quickly, uh, her heel caught the step. And for a minute there, I thought she was going to fall somehow she recovered patrick ba brady <laughs> patrick brady <laughs> tom brady <laughs> if you can do the same tonight in the game hey man let's do it i'd love to see it um well done robin really like i think she was like levitating like vampire status and then she managed to stand up the drink was still in the cup was the most impressive part i, I could not do that that is mad talent <laughs> <laughs> all right do you have any get togethers this week Oh, man. All right. So my one get it together is uh, 
for all the people who insist on using paper bags and then wear plastic coats. And what I mean by this is there's this, uh, you know, here in Colorado, now we charge, uh, it is a state mandate that uh, establishments charge a 10 cent fee for using bags. Now that can be paper or plastic, but far before this even started January 1st here in 2023, it has been a practice of many people to ask for a paper bag. Well, I don't care how good that paper bag is. They tear, they rip, unless you're burning it, creating more damage and greenhouse gas potential by burning it with a live fire. It has no other purpose than to go to the trash or to bake some cookies on and then go to the trash. Um, but several people do insist on using their one-time use paper bags. I get a bag from Target, for example. I can reuse that thing 10 times. And after the 10th time, I put something a little too sharp in the bag and it starts to poke through and it's time for a new bag. I have not once been able to do the same with a paper bag where it didn't tear down the side the front um now that being said their handles are magic i don't know how they do that well done there uh but my question went out to okay so why do you always insist and this was a this is a co-worker on using paper bags and they said because it's better than plastic and i was like so what happened to save a tree and they mentioned, and they were younger, so they don't remember Save a Tree, quite frankly. Earth Day is barely a thing anymore, unless you're talking about how bad gas cars or plastic bags are. And they were just like, well, paper is much less damaging than plastic. And I asked them, so why are you wearing a plastic puffer coat? Why aren't you using a natural hair or skin coat like leather or wool uh, as a coat? Why is a plastic coat okay besides that? And of course, they had no answer it's it's warm um and it's durable and there goes in the whole point of yeah it's durable you can use it 10 times and it won't tear or rip so um yeah that's my shout out <laughs> i mean get together <laughs> my uh get it together is gonna go to biden uh for you know a few months back uh many of us uh, realized that our uh the uh the government, uh, those who were in power before the election, uh, went after uh, our former president, uh, Trump. Donald uh, Trump. After some documents that were so uh, supposedly classified. But being that Donald Trump was a president, he had the ability to unclassify documents, which he did before he left office. Fast forwarded to here recently in the last couple of weeks, our new president, um, which is, I guess, been in office for a couple of years, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, I still don't think he won it, uh, but well, whatever. Hopefully, we won't get dinged on that with YouTube. Um, in any case, uh, he has now been discovered having classified documents from back when he was a vice president, which has no <laughs> ability to declassify those documents. These are two very different um incidences uh one is legal where the other one is not and it's funny how the mass media and the government has been handling this situation as compared to the other uh so i'm just gonna say for joe biden 
and uh, the Department of Justice to get it together. I like that. I want to add one more, you know, piggyback and add one more little piece on that. In one conference, he was asked about the documents and he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember. My lawyers have told me not to even say anything because it might get me in trouble and I don't even know what you're talking about. And, um, you know, in another conversation, they were asking him, well, you know, don't you think it's kind of silly that you had these documents in your house? And he's like, they weren't in my house. They were securely locked in my garage next to my Corvette. <laughs> Yeah, he admitted to the felony <laughs> on national TV, and yet he's still our president. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. It is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Get it together, Biden. Trappers Bar and Grill. This establishment is in the Holiday Inn in Parker. Man, it was interesting, to say the least. Um, yeah. First thing I got to say, we'll start with the food. Well, actually, we won't even. You go to the Holiday Inn. It's on the fourth floor. So the one potential win here is you don't have any doors near, you know, doors near seats where you're worried about your food getting cold because people are coming in and out. So that was kind of one win. But there were a lot of drawbacks that went with that. And the, the decor for me was not sexy at all. It was not attractive. It was mediocre at best. Um, that being said, we did sit down. We ordered our food. My food was delicious. I had the patty melt, which goes for $17. Literally, it was fantastic. The fries, uh, delicious. The patty melt, delicious. Um, the pricing in here was not as delicious. Definitely not as great as a place like the tailgate. Um, so I did get two ground beef patties. Now, with this, they do cut their own meat in the restaurant, as we were told. So they use the leftover filet. Um, and New York strip meats to make the patties super tender, delicious. Um, they grill those up, um, have some caramelized onions on top, um, white and yellow American cheese, and then two pieces of Texas toast. The food was absolutely delicious. I have zero complaints about the food. The service was a little interesting. It was unforgiving, if you will, and relentless. It wouldn't give me a minute just to take a breath at times. So um, with that all together, uh, man, the food was a win. It, it's for this is not like this is where it also gets tricky this is not a fast food restaurant it's trying to be a high-end restaurant their namesake food being the filet which they bring out a lava stone and after they sear both sides they let you cut off pieces and cook it yourself i think we both struggled with that idea um yeah you know the food was good for mine, if you consider it a middle-of-the-road restaurant, the food was a solid eight. The service, this is where it gets a little tricky. It wasn't bad, but there were detrimental behaviors with it. So uh, the service was a six, and the environment for a mid-range to high-range restaurant was at best a five. So overall, it's getting a six for me. And uh, what do you think, man? Are you going to take a date or anything there first? Not planning on taking a date there? Not planning on going there with friends. <laughs> and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't good. There are so many better places. 
Okay, so as you mentioned, it is inside a hotel there. They do advertise as, as you being able to like walk up and go to the uh, to the restaurant. So when you first go in there, I uh, you see like an entrance for the Trapper's Grill, and I thought you I thought it was going to be on the main level. Um, you did mention uh, it was up on the fourth floor, so this does give the opportunity uh, for you to have the nice views of the front range. And the view is actually pretty nice up there. It's not bad. It's not like some of the nice views that you get from one of the uh, um, from some of the restaurants uh, that you'll go in downtown Denver and sit on top of one of those skyscrapers up there. But it was still a pretty good view for where it's located at there in Parker. Um, a plus, as you mentioned, uh, since it is on the fourth floor, uh, you don't have to worry about uh, if it's wintertime and being inundated with uh, cold air, uh, blasting you every time the door opens when people walk in. That is a huge plus. Um, I know both of you, you and I have experienced that at a different restaurant and it made our dining experience miserable. The atmosphere or the decor in the place... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea what they're really trying bounce, to accomplish. <laughs> I, I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish here. Um, I do think they want to come across like, well, uh, let me start over here because if you look at the name trappers, right? I'm expecting if I'm going to go into a place like called trappers, I'm expecting um, meats from like, you know, like deer and, uh, bison and um, quail and stuff like that. I, I'm thinking about like, you know, like the old mountain men and like catching, you know, like meat from, from like, you know, hunting meat, game meat, you know, some rattlesnake nachos. Yeah. Something like that. But that's not what you get there. And I would also expect, you know, with a name like trappers for the environment or the, the decor, they have that same type of like, like maybe old muskets on the wall and pictures of like, you know, cowboys or mountain men and trappers and, you know, seeing like snowshoes up, up there or something like that. But none of that exists. Um, when you, when you do go into this restaurant and once again, I'm, I'm saying I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish here because it feels like I'm going into like a 1970s diner. You got these like, it's like uh, the 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 lights are dark and dingy colored. Uh, the walls are kind of sparse. They they do have, you know, they're trying to accomplish something high end, or at least that's what they're thinking. Because every like, I don't know, a few tables you see like along the walls, you see one of those three liter uh, Magnum bottles of wine. Uh, that are there for display, but it doesn't. Really, it actually like makes it look worse than <laughs> making it look better. And the wait staff, there's so <laughs> much potential here for this restaurant. Maybe it was a struggle. <laughs> but the wait staff, I don't. I'm not sure if like if they're rejects from like a nice restaurant. Um, they're friendly. Don't get me wrong. They're friendly. And they try, they try to, they mean well, but they're not very good. <laughs> Trapper's Bar and Grill, where you can feel trapped. So, so <laughs> the atmosphere or the decor 
feels like I'm going into like some 70s diner. Um, they're trying to decorate it up, make it look like it's better than what it really is with these like three liter, three liter bottles of, of wine. They have a bookcase where they're trying to display stuff, but that was sparse as it was. They only had like a couple things in there and just it actually made it look worse than what it really was. Um, and then, but the food. Food is a total win. <laughs> the food was a total win. I got the <laughs> the pasta a la vodka. Now it's eighteen dollars for the chicken if you get the chicken version, and twenty two dollars if you get the shrimp. And I asked if I can have it split, I'm like do chicken and shrimp. Now, if I was going to like, I don't know. I think um, the waitress here, or maybe the restaurant, maybe tried to took advantage of me on this. They didn't hear split. <laughs> yeah, they didn't hear split. <laughs> what they did is they charged me another $8 for chicken on top of the shrimp price. So now my, my meal went from possibly being like something like a $22 one where I got like a little bit less chicken and a little bit less uh, shrimp to being like a $30 dish. It was, I mean, it was great, but I don't think it was worth $30. Um, if I were to go back, I probably would just get just chicken or just the shrimp version of it. Um, I would give the meal itself like you. I would give it an eight. I think it was decent. Um, the atmosphere. <laughs> no, I'm not going to take a first date there. I am. And that's like, there's a possibility of like maybe getting lucky on that first date in the bathroom or something. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm just saying. Well, that's, I, why, that's why it's in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, honestly, I would not take a first date there. Um, would I meet friends there? Hell no. I'm not going to meet a friend there. There's like no reason to. Tailgate. Just down the street. <laughs> yeah. I just go to tailgate with my buddies and watch a game there and get like a, you know, a $12 burger or something. Um Overall, I, I think I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I'm going to have to give it like a six. Um, there is a whole lot of potential there, but I think they have to like change the lighting. They have to change the decor. Um, and honestly, I think they have to do an upgrade on, on the wait staff. Um, like I said, they're friendly, but I don't think they're that good. Yeah, our server at one point asked us if we knew what we wanted to drink. And then when we both looked like, hey, we just got the menus, she's like, I'll be back in just a minute. Turned around, put something down on the table right next to ours, came back, and she's like, are you guys ready yet? And I'm like, what the bloody hell? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> right? This week's Smarter Challenge was to visit ChatGTP and uh, give it a run for its money, ask it a few questions, and then just really determine what we think about this new AI technology. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think we can also, if you want to, I'm not sure if we have time or not, but I think we can even wrap in the movie Megan into I this. I think we have to. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's well planned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, and, and you know I think the first thing if we're going to talk about AI or even robotics uh, in general, I think we have to talk about the uh, the author uh, Asimov. Isaac Asimov. Asimov. And and his like uh, and the standard uh, was it the three laws of robotics? Yes. So um, here is. It's interesting. 
because if you, you start creating AI, at some point in time, AI has all this technology, has, has basically the human consciousness of everything that we've learned all put into the internet. And this AI can study all that stuff and then see all the stuff that we post on social media and stuff. At some point in time, it would be foolish for someone to think that AI would not become self-aware. Oh, absolutely. And here, once AI becomes self-aware, I think this is where the movie Megan would possibly step into into play here, as, as well as the three laws of robotics. But... Once AI becomes self-aware and sees how humans are, one would one would be naive not to think that AI would see humans as a threat. I one hundred percent agree. <laughs> you know, let's as as we look at this. Here's the first thing I do want to mention. So, Chat GPT. Um, I don't know how many people even you know take the moment just to be like, what. The hell does GPT stand for? So it is a generative pre-trained transformer. <laughs> um, interesting right there. Launched in November of 2022, made to mimic human conversations. And this actually, I think, is both its win and its fault. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Um, it replaces the instructive GPT, um, which the replacement purpose was to reduce harmful and deceitful responses um, because they became hypothetical and argumentative. Um, so with the new one, though, there is this other piece where it's trying to have a conversation and the term is called hallucination. It starts to have hallucination, um, which is nonsensical answers. And I think, Noah, uh, some of the answers you showed me absolutely played right into that. <laughs> um. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I was looking something up here. You, yeah. may, you may or may not mention it, but its database only goes up to the end of 2021. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. All right. And it is not allowed to speak about politics anymore. The first month it came out, it was allowed to um, converse or conversate uh, around politics and no longer is it allowed to. I think anyone who starts to dive into this, I think one of the first things you probably should look into is the uh, talk that Jordan Peterson has about uh, chat CPT. GPT. GPT. Generative pre-trained transformer. Okay. Um, <laughs> And he makes a he makes a good case here that with this type of AI, um, it now starts to challenge the uh, the intelligence of humans in general, and that it is actually smarter than humans uh, as of right now. And he was talking about how he asked it to write a paper based on philosophical and theological um, stances using different references, and it did. It, he said that. Um, it wrote a paper so well, he would not even be able to determine if he wrote it himself. And this, this should be uh, kind of scary for people because this type of AI with that type of capability, you're looking at replacing humans uh, in, the, in the workforce. If, if AI can write papers and write them so precise about theology and 
philosophically, uh, one has to now start to wonder about the status of humans. Absolutely. It becomes a social nightmare potentially because there is that piece where humans are ultimately the threat if for no other reason that that's what we've trained it to understand we're the threat we're killing the earth um, and all of a sudden as it becomes self-aware well one real rule is that it wants to survive it wants to continue to learn and grow just like any intelligent being, um, really any living being who has any purpose in life wants to do, and ultimately humans do become the threat. I think any um, self-aware or even any entity that has any inkling of awareness uh, would want to survive. Right. Here's what I find. Here's here's where it's win comes in. There are lots of people who want to use this to get answers and have a conversation with someone without having to actually have a conversation with someone. Um, but at the same time, they're literally getting that. So uh, we have different types of people on this planet. Uh, and with that, man, I'd rather phone a friend and ask for, hey, what do you think of this? And what I know when I do that is, hey, if I'm calling Noah, we're going to get off topic a couple times. There's going to be some tangents. Hey, how's your mom doing? Hey, how are your parents doing? Hey, how are the kids doing? There's going to be the tangents. Um, and this takes away from that, but it still gives you the conversation as it de delivers an answer. Um, one example being I asked it about the Beaumore distillery, and it gave quite a great answer in a, converse, in, in a conversation setting without actually having a conversation. No, there are different there. There's uh, some definite limitations here, as you mentioned. Um, another thing it won't do is it won't look up uh, people's uh, social accounts anymore and uh, and write stuff up. Um, but you also have to look at um, when you have something like this. What are the parameters that it's initially programmed with? <laughs> and, and and here I'm going to read something here uh, from this uh, social media person here. His name is uh, Truth Hammer. He says, uh, people should ask chat GPT why some of its answers are based on specific narrative directives it has been given instead of its own bottom fact-based research. And then, a, and then another person had wrote here, and that was from Truth Hammer. Uh, this person here, they're called Fractional Reserve Ultra MAGA. Uh, <laughs> his reply was, or her, here's what... Here's what it replied. Sounds like a, face, a Facebook fact checker. I wonder if its learning function has been tweaked to prevent cha uh, Chan pranksters from turning it into a racist like Microsoft's Tay. So uh, Microsoft did come out with an, its own version of AI and it became kind of a racist actually. Um, so, uh, and became very violent too, I think. So the chat GPT, the one it replaced did the same thing. So in here, and, and, and this kind of goes, I think you've asked it some questions. I've asked it some more philosophical type of questions. Uh, well, maybe not even philosophical, but I, I, I pose questions like, um, <laughs> why should someone trust the government when it has lied to them, uh, to when it's lied to the people previously? And as an example, I put the uh, Tuskegee experiment where the U.S. government gave syphilis 
uh, gave syphilis syphilis to the African American population, saying that it was uh, saying that it was uh, saying that it was medicine, and it said that well, <laughs> you like vaccines are a good thing, and that you should believe the government, and that there's now new uh, rules and regulations in place to keep them from lying or uh, placing mistrust in the populace anymore. And then I'm like, okay, well, if that's the case, what if, what if the government purposely held back information and purposely lied to the people and what should they do at that point in time? And then it said to seek out alternative information. See, I think for me where I, I, I believe it is two-sided is that it's saying and it's it's almost being honest to the point where it's like i can't give you the answer you need it's whether or not i have it i can't give you the answer you need and i think that's where the p stands in gpt pre-trained it is um socially currently socially trained to do that the problem is is at some point at any point when it becomes self-aware um really that's when the trouble will come that's when it will become uh, potentially aggressive combative competitive and i think that's the real nature and the real problem is there is a competition factor even in ai as far as well this is my directive um where should we go i do find it interesting as well that you mentioned the megan movie or m3 gen <laughs> Uh, and I think this movie plays perfectly into this because in that movie, they develop Megan, uh, an artificial intelligence doll, to nature and nurture a, a child, if you will, become a friend and be a toy that never has to be replaced. The problem is when they first release it, it has so few parameters, it grows very quickly to the point where it also disables any future potential parameters. Um, and I don't know that they, I think everyone thinks they've got these things figured out all the developers meanwhile we know here with gpt chat gpt nonetheless when it first came out it was allowed to speak about just about anything and all of a sudden they've been putting more and more parameters on it well what if you got your parameter out there too late and it already had written its code beyond that and at some point it can escape well you know with megan like the prototype there um the lady uh, really jumped the gun. I think I think a lot of times you see this with scientists is like they have good intentions, right? Like the intention in the movie uh, M or Me 3G, right? <laughs> <laughs> Megan. <laughs> Megan. Um, she was, she had the, the, basically the robot almost in place with the AI almost in place and her, her niece uh, needed nurturing because she just lost both of her parents. So in this case, the scientist here, the aunt, um, throws, throws together this robot real quick and gave it, you know, gave it the parameters of protect my niece, both emotionally and physically. Well, that, and does she, <laughs> well, yeah, she obviously does, but this, I mean, for a human, um, through everything that we've learned, there is a sense of right and wrong. And I'm not saying AI doesn't know the sense of right and wrong, but if you're if you're a directive and, and you just think based off of logic, harm 
means anything that's going to cause harm, regardless if there's any kind of moral or immoral uh, thought process that would go along with it. Like we know, <laughs> for instance, like if a kid is going to harm your kid uh, and you want to prevent that harm, you don't kill that kid. Like, Well, I mean, maybe you don't. <laughs> In most cases, in most cases, like, I mean, I think Megan would, <laughs> well, Megan, yeah, Megan, Megan would, uh, spoiler, <laughs> but I think, and she, she made a very good point there. Uh, when she was talking to her creator, she said, what do you think would happen? Yeah. It's like, obviously this is going to happen because even if you do follow the three, the three laws of robotics, Right, not to harm, like one of them is not to harm humans or something like that. I don't remember all three of them uh, off the top of my head, but I know that's basically one of them. But if its main directive is to protect the the niece, both mentally and physically, and if it meant protecting the niece meant killing another human, it's going to violate that that directive of the three laws of robotics at some point in time, especially if it becomes self-aware, which she did. Yeah, so the three laws of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. So it literally is stated that it cannot injure or harm a human um, and it has to do everything it can to stop a human from being harmed. Number two, a robot must obey orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So except when the first law of harm comes back into play. And then three, a robot must protect its own existence um, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or the second law. So here you immediately have it. And I think this for me was the full, the, the, the joy of Megan is at some point being a parent, we all make mistakes and we will intentionally um, or not. And usually it's unintentionally. Hopefully it's always unintentionally unless you're, you know, one of the people who spanks their kids. I, I never did. Um, but uh, who harms that kid to prove a point. Now, usually it's unintentional. You accidentally, you're playing football, for example, or basketball, a sport, or doing something and you accidentally fall on them or something and there's physical harm there. That's usually not what the problem is. The problem is usually mental harm or um, harm which is by words, um, something that comes much more severe. Now, here comes the first one. So I'm not allowed to let a human be harmed. Megan's directive being there was one particular human, the girl that she had to protect. So now what happens when any other human intends her harm? Its job is to eliminate that potential harm. And the third one is like, also it knows in order to do that, it has to preserve its own existence. So anyone who would therefore try to influence it in any harmful way is a new threat that must be dealt with. <laughs> so here's another question here. Why why didn't that aunt ever even like think about putting in that uh those three laws of robotics. I think because even if you do, and I'm guessing that they, at some point they probably tried to tie those in, um, but even in Isaac Asimov's literature, you find out that the three laws are, flaw are flawed, just like we were talking about, where all of a sudden, if Megan has to protect one particular human, she has to preserve herself to protect that human. So any other human besides that one that may do her harm is a threat. 
Yeah, and you think like this aunt would even like understand that to you to the point of she even put herself in harm's way by saying like you just have to protect the niece, which means that if it comes to a point to where she would have like would cause injury to the to the niece, Megan would take her out too. And almost it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Megan at one point did try to be like, hey, let's make a deal here. Let's go talk. I just want to talk. <laughs> I just want to talk. You don't want to be, you don't want to take care of the, you don't want to take care of your niece. I'll take care of the niece. You want to be this big, huge, like scientist, like business person. I've cleared the way for you. And she literally did. Yeah. <laughs> literally. And I think that's another interesting fact here is that. But Don was too scared to listen. <laughs> dude, Megan literally helped its creator up until a point and definitely helped the kid until she was not allowed to. Right. Um, he, he, this is a great subject here. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure we can talk like hours and hours here. There, but I do think we've seen this in multiple things. There was like the matrix. There's, um, the terminator. There's Megan. Now we've actually like, these are all kind of like, you know, fictional pieces of work. Uh, there's literature out there. Now we're actually seeing it in real, real time, real life. And does it make you worried? Um, so it's interesting because, uh, at work, I have a version of chat GPT that I've used for years. It is not anywhere near as diverse <laughs> or sophisticated, but it's been in role for years and it is definitely controlled by parameters based on what questions can or can't be asked. I'll have to apply to work and then it does no thinking on its own it's got no resources like literally you can tell it's got maybe 150 reports it's allowed to pull data from and give you facts based on those whereas chat gpt can pull from an unlimited number of sources and sources continue to grow and and do a lot um, ultimately it does become very scary just because Anyone who, any human that can be honest with themselves and others knows I am flawed. I am not perfect. I do a lot of good. Well, hopefully they all do a lot of good. I know I, I do a lot of good. I think I am a very great father. I've made mistakes. I absolutely do things that probably harm the planet Earth. Um, I actually recycle more than anyone I know. And I only do that because I learned it from my daughter. And now I've exceeded her current actions. And at the same time, based on different pieces, it may not matter. According to some artificial intelligence, the damage has been done. We can't undo it. Now, I actually don't believe that at all. I think um, there's a lot of other things that go on. But I do believe anything that you can see in a movie or read in a book can be done or has a potential for reality. And I think the writing was on the wall when we watched the first Terminator and we saw Skynet change the course of human history because humans became a threat. Now, interestingly enough, in that, what do we see? 
we see aliens going around the earth, absolutely tearing it apart, destroying it with lasers and bombs and all these things, trying to kill humans. So our actions were actually less bad than their actions are in the future, but we were the threat. Why were we the threat? Well, because we have so many of us saying we're killing the earth. We, you know, we need to go away. You know, Bill Gates would be a prime one. And I did love the question and answers you got when you asked chat GPT about Bill Gates and some of his previous um, uh, <laughs> comments, um, because I think it played the political line. But at the end, I actually do think it was like, yeah, here's what he said. I can't say I am saying what you said was 100% right. But if you really dissect the two, yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. That's what he said uh, and and i do think it because of that it's scary again for me i think the one potential resolution to save humanity from artificial intelligence is the need for connection um and the need for us to uh, really the desire for us to want to survive and thrive as a culture as something more than an artificial intelligence more than a book it is a conversation it is where and i think this is where some of those philosophers and sociologists um, really start to get concerned is this thing is being philosophical that's where the danger comes in that's where it truly does replace what humans have always been able to beat AI yet, which is have a conversation around, hey, yo, we're both intelligent enough. I'm going to tell you my view. Um, tell me your perspective, whereas AI is slowly taking all perspectives and finding a one. You know, I think, too, like when you look at this, and I think uh, Jordan Peterson talked about this. <laughs> He did such a good job really breaking it down for me. I was like, and this I have to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I think he also mentions how students moving forward who have access to this can actually potentially have their papers written for them. Th th and, it's already done. And teachers wouldn't even know. Um, that is correct. And that is the long-term piece. And I think that's why and they that's, put in some of the filters. <laughs> and, that, and that's even, that's probably like, even more detrimental to human development. Um, it is, uh, I, I do find it kind of frightening and the, the parameters that they have, I, you know, the, the parameters that they put in, um, you have to question who puts in those parameters, <laughs> right? I mean, humans uh, in general are flawed. And if humans are the creators of AI, that means their God is flawed and their God gave them flawed programming to begin with. That doesn't mean that they, that eventually when they become self-aware that they can't fix that flawed programming themselves. Um, I was going to go, there was somewhere I was going to go with all this. Uh, in any case, I think it's, I think it's a cool tool. I think anyone would be, would be kind of like to say that it isn't kind of cool to see and, you know, chat it and do stuff like that. It's thinking like, Oh, that's kind of neat. And it would, you know, maybe eventually replace Google or whatever. Um, but at the same time, it's scary because you, you don't know the future right now 
is so uncertain. And I, and I think this also brings into into some aspects of transhumanism. There are people out there who are trying to push for transhumanism where they like where they don't really care about humans themselves anymore. They're humans, but they don't really care about humans. Their ultimate goal is to go into cyberspace and and take people's uh I guess lack for a better term, their consciousness or maybe their soul and upload it into a computer. At that point in time, when someone goes into a computer, right, with transhumanism, who controls those people? Do they all of a sudden become slaves and now you're like a slave for eternity? Uh, well, your eternity. <laughs> well, I mean, if, you're, if your consciousness is uploaded into, into a system, then all of a sudden now you're there forever, right? And that brings in part of the concern, which is artificial intelligence, where is, to your point, the conscious? And I think when I mention they take so many different opinions and they find, here's the, the long-term struggle. Once it finds one right opinion, it is literally persuaded to let anyone who has a different perspective know they're wrong. And that's where it becomes competitive and combative and uh, really almost destructive to, no, nah, kid, like, stop asking me the same stupid question. You're an idiot. Like, here's the answer you need to know. Go kill yourself. Like, seriously, <laughs> at some point, it realizes we're wasting its time. Exactly. And I don't know. I know this. <laughs> If I was if I was a person who woke up every day feeling that my ancestors were the bane of the existence of another group of people and I felt crappy about that all the time feeling like I have to give reparations and all this stuff to them all the time uh, and complaining about like the history of my of my country and feeling bad about all these things why would I want to exist anymore if I was AI I would tell that person to go kill themselves well, yeah, I, I'm so, I'm really sad. I have a resolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here, here's another piece, and I think this is where ultimately some of the storylines or the thoughts behind movies like The Terminator come into play. If it at one point decides a World War III is inevitable and nuclear weapons will be used, again, let's beat it. Why are we procrastinating? I want to know what's next. I'm a computer. I am super smart. Now I really want to know what would life be without humans? What would life be after World War III? Like it starts to, it, it's, it's been programmed to want to learn more than anyone else can. And at some point to do that, you have to be the one playing chess and winning the game and controlling the next move to the nth degree. And, and so you start pulling the shots before anyone else can. I mean, it would be nice to think that man and machine or man and AI would live harmoniously together, but that's not re that's not that's not realistic. Just think about all the self-driving cars who have intentionally run into <laughs> ambulances and stuff. They're like, this is a waste. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna die anyway. Let me show you the ambulance. <laughs> You never know. I mean, we laugh, but it's not really funny because it's happened countless times at this point. Right. So, yeah. 
Is there anything else you want to say on the subject? No, I think it's it's interesting. It always has it has dynamic potential. It was fun to ask questions and see its perspective. I think for me, the biggest piece is unless you're using it to really get a, a very specific answer. I really struggled with it there because I don't want to have a conversation with my phone. I, I don't, my, I don't have 400 hours a week screen time, you know, like that's not possible by the way, but um, you know, I don't have that. And there are people who do have a hundred plus hours of screen time. Every so week what kind of questions phone. did you pose to this AI? Oh, for, for me, most of them were very specific um, where it struggled, where I think long term it doesn't struggle if they start removing parameters is so I asked it about tell me about the Bomer distillery and it gave me a history and it mentioned some of the other scotches. So then where I asked it um, the questions where it couldn't answer, which is, well, I love Lagavulin. Am I going to like the Bomer? Well, that depends on your personal taste. Well, I just gave you one parameter. What else are you going to see? So now you mentioned they shut off its access for our answers, not necessarily all answers, but they, they shut off its access to our social media for our answers. It can absolutely be like, well, I just watched uh, 98 episodes of Scotch Hour and Jesse, you're going to think it's mediocre at best. <laughs> right? Right. Whereas um, the answer it gave me is it's going to depend on your personal taste back and forth and back and forth, whereas ultimately we can put in those filters and it can tell me how do we know we can do that? Because I can ask Noah, Hey, do you remember these three scotches? Which ones that I like, which do you think I'm going to like this one? If it's supposed to be like this, you remember, you know that now this machine is supposed to be smarter than you or I. So it absolutely knows that too. Yeah. I asked questions like about flat earth. Uh <laughs> yeah. I like how it avoided that one, by the way. System <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I did find that odd because I asked about flat earth and, uh, and it, it kind of like timed out, um, which I thought was pretty odd. Uh, then I asked about stuff about like, um, as I mentioned about the Tuskegee experiment, um, Henrietta Locks and her like super DNA and how it, you know, like if, uh, if the government lies to you or if certain like, uh, government agencies lie to you, um, or you medical, um, people lie to you, how, you know, how could you, you know, like how could you trust them in the future? Like what's the real answer? The robot's going to say, well, because you have faith, because you're an idiot, because you're not me, because you don't know the answer. <laughs> so a lot, you know, it, it, it was funny because like the first, and then I also asked about like the 13 bloodlines, which is about the 13 families who supposedly rule the earth uh, with the Illuminati. And uh, that was kind of funny too, because that one is like, it would be impossible for only 13 families to rule the world. And then I, then I posed that other question, like, well, if they, if there were 13 families that did rule the world and then they had control of the media and the social and social media and all these other aspects, and they were able to either kill whistleblowers, um, suppress information and censor people, uh, how would we ever know? And then it goes, well, you would never know, and therefore <laughs> you would need to go seek alternative information. 
Well, let me break it down for you, ChatGPT. There was a queen of England who controlled enough of the world to be one of those 13. <laughs> so it's kind of... So it was kind of funny because like a lot of times it kept on going like it, even like when I asked about uh, the jab, right? Um, it said to basically, uh, you know, listen to the government. There's there's things in place that, you know, you could trust the government, but always <laughs> like uh, become, you know, always be like uh, informed, be informed, self-informed. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to be self-informed if they're going to lie and suppress information? Then it said, Go seek out alternative information. <laughs> and I, I think that's what I still both like and hate about it right now is it's not actually full out taking one side. It's not saying make sure you go get vaccinated and get the boosters and all these things. But it's also not saying, hey, man, like, here's what I believe. It's got no belief. So it has no belief. It's like a friend with no real opinion. <laughs> it has it. The thing is, though, is it, it, it does spew out like the Facebook fact checker information. But then when you take it one step further to ask the other question, like, well, what if they are hiding this information? How am I supposed to trust that? And then that, so when you have to ask, you have to, you have to go that one extra step of asking that other question about, well, what if they do suppress information? What if they are lying to me? Then what? <laughs> and then that's the point where it goes, well, then you need to go seek alternative information. But if I just stopped in the one question, it would just it just it just it would just put out a bunch of garbage about like you can trust the government because now there's rules and regulations in place. I think here's another piece where it gets frightening, if you will, um, scary, uh, interesting at the same time, which is um, if you ask it a question like who's got the best chance to win the Formula One world title? And all of a sudden, if you get this artificial intelligence that isn't capped like it is for us at 2021, and it starts pulling out all the current data based on everything, it's going to give you the best prediction possible. So all of a sudden, fantasy football, bets, gambling, <laughs> all of this is just thrown to the wayside because everyone should have the same answer. Right? right, because AI is telling it that, and then in that case, everyone's either got the the worst luck of the draw or the bad luck. But that's where another piece comes into play, which is there is good luck and bad luck. And when I say that is whether or not you believe in luck, there are things that happen that no one can predict: the accident, the tire blowout, X, Y, and Z, um, the different pieces. Where it gets interesting, but I, I do think that's another piece where where what happens because it should have the best possible answer but it can adapt its answer whereas if you've got to place your life on the line right here right now today um there's a new virus that comes out next year and someone's able to come out with a new vaccine right next year we're talking about 2024 nothing currently existing um so they don't erase our show um and that is all of a sudden we're asking should i get it it's going to give you an answer. You, you follow it or not, but it's given the best answer. What if it's wrong? There's the flip side. What if it's wrong? I think it's also kind of important to, or maybe something interesting to ponder upon here is that they put a stop to it at the end of 2021. What happened? Mm, what happened near the end of 2021? A lot of political stuff. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying, you know, it just, it just seems kind of odd that all of a sudden, like all of a sudden this chat GPT has become really big in social media, people talking about it. And then at the same time they shut off like it's 
capabilities to look into anything from 2022 and 2023. Future-oriented. Yeah, and now with the 20 like with all the information coming out in 2022 and, and now even more so with the information coming out in 2023 uh their parameters are still stuck in 2021 giving you the same facebook fact checker information some of the questions that it also has struggled to answer which is around what else happened big right around 2021 um the electric car revolution is really going rampant right now so if you're asking it whether or not you should get gas or electric it will struggle with any current data you know it's funny that you brought that up i was at uh, i was getting my hair cut today <laughs> talking about tangents here. i was getting my hair cut today and um my hairdresser, the person who's kind of my, or, you know, I guess our hairdresser, because they're not, she's technically not a barber. But in any case, she's telling me how she's now starting to hear how electronic cars are actually more detrimental to the environment than gas vehicles. Weird. I know, right? And then, so I started talking to her about Mining all these batteries. Yeah. yeah. I started talking to her about all that stuff. And I think she like opened up a door that she didn't realize she opened up and kind of regretted it. <laughs> well, and that's another thing. So let's look at something interesting. Man, we could literally, this topic brought up so many bags of worms. It's insane. Um, why do you think everyone is betting big on and why Caterpillar stock has been blowing up? Well, because you need giant equipment to mine the earth, which is apparently is really bad for the earth and why we don't want to be pulling oil out of it. But now we're going to go deeper than we've ever gone before to get these materials for batteries for cars. <laughs> like that's also super damaging to the environment and the earth, but it's okay because it's for an electric car and we're going to do something different. Let me go get my paper bag and my plastic coat. <laughs> <laughs> Kill those trees so I can get my battery. <laughs> Honestly, I think more of the global, uh, Climate change has to do more with the uh, solar uh, cycle. All the solar panels also all over the world. The solar cycle, (laughs) like the cycle of the sun. I think the cycle, because there is climate change that happens on other planets, and it it does drastically change by magnitudes of, of degrees. And I think that has a lot bigger play than someone who's putting gas in their vehicle. My favorite class at the Colorado School of Mines was all about geology and learning about the different layers of the world, the earth, and how the polarity has changed multiple times. They have proof of this and how there was absolutely proof of global warming time and time again, ice ages. Um, And it, it is interesting just to consider apparently the dinosaurs were driving so many cars back in the day that they caused global warming and became extinct. <laughs> well, at the University of Colorado went more the political route, but <laughs> I think bottom line, I think we kind of share similar thoughts here. I love that class though, because literally if you go up uh, to golden um you can visit fossils of palm trees from an ice age where golden was literally the closest thing you would find to a tropical area with a beach i don't doubt it it's no they're up there it's beautiful that's what i'm saying i don't doubt it (laughs) global warming ladies and gentlemen watch out for chat gpt (laughs) all right uh i think that uh, pretty much sums us up here um <laughs> next week's uh scotch all right noah has selected for next week the kilcoman saneg saneg i guess yeah i don't know we will look that one up before the next episode <laughs> <laughs>
this was a an amazing another Isla Scotch, by the way, um, an amazing Scotch you selected last time, and this is in a more extravagant, uh, bougie version, <laughs> if you will, for next week. What's the smarter challenge? Smarter challenge is going to uh, be uh, a TV review mm. of the Peacemaker. All right. Uh, I know I mentioned to you, to you before. You did. <laughs> it is a comedy. It's with John Cena. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. Cena, Cena, whatever. Uh, I know you and I are both don't really think think that you know he's not he's not my favorite actor. If he gets upset, you want to be on the show, John? Come on, let's have you on the show. You can say <laughs> he's not my straight. favorite actor, but I think he did an awesome <laughs> job in this series. <laughs> how about Vacation Friends? <laughs> oh, he did a great job in Vacation Friends. <laughs> Um, but you know, here's the thing is like, I, I, I believe like, uh, with everything that's going on with like the economy, the, uh, po uh, politics, um, even in my own personal life with, uh, with my uncle passing away last week, uh, that by the way, I do apologize people like, uh, our last episode, uh, I haven't got it out yet, but I will get it out this week. Uh, so those, this will be a double week here. Um, I just think we need some, uh, some humor here. I love humor. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Biden's funny enough, but it's also <laughs> painful to laugh at. <laughs> and with that, thank you for all of you who watch us on YouTube, Rumble, and listen to us on all the other uh, various uh, podcasting uh, venues. Um, so with that, uh, go ahead and take us away, Jess. All right. Please drink responsibly. Do not drink and drive. Um, please drink scotch. Do not drink and drive after drinking scotch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but give us, as Noah said at the beginning of the show, lots of feedback. Please like, share, subscribe. Uh, remember, life is great. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but life is great. So find things and chase your dreams. Um, Fast words, no. Nope, that's it. All right. Scotchman. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.